Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Saturday morning yesterday, the headlines of the New York Times read, The Supreme Court has overturned the constitutional right to abortion in America. The court's decision issued yesterday is the culmination of a generational conservative campaign to strike down Roe v. Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court ruling that established abortion abortion rights. Justice Samuel Alito wrote for the majority, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. Rose Fall is a political and social earthquake, one that Americans alternately celebrated and mourned. Winfred Brisley for the Gospel Coalition writes, some will tell the story of Roe being overturned as the story of nine justices and how they voted. Some will tell the story of giving a voice to the voiceless and defending the powerless. Some will tell the story of a political strategy and the evangelical vote. Some will tell a story of of good triumphing over evil, the righting of a wrong. Some will tell the story of a goal accomplished in the dawning of a new era. All these stories help us understand aspects of what has happened. But let us not miss the truth that ultimately the story of Roe versus Wade being overturned is a story about God hearing our prayer, using our efforts, and doing a great work. I know the emotion that swept over my soul on Friday when I heard the news was hard to put into words, and the immediate just gratitude to our God, the relief for what this, the implications and what this will mean, the joy of, uh, and thinking there's no way to quantify the value of each life that will be protected and many lives that will be saved. It also left me with a, just a, a renewed surge of being the church of Jesus Christ. His light, he said, you are my light, salt in this earth and uh, light in this earth. And I know this is a extremely divisive um, issue in our culture, and yet um, Christ came and, and said, all right, grace and truth, full of grace, full of truth, follow me like this, and to be able to hold firmly to the truth that God has given us in his word. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that life is sacred. We believe in the sanctity of life. We believe that life begins at the moment of conception as a gift from God, and we believe that life is sacred until the last breath. We believe also in the compassionate care of every living person, and that includes mom and baby. And so the calling for us is to continue to be his church. I think um, in the wake of this law overturned, we know that Uh, 
our country is not the church. There's a bigger kingdom at play, the kingdom of God, and yet we are an outpost. The church is an outpost of his kingdom in a country, and in each country we're called to be good citizens, called to be um, active in, in the, uh, the making of civil laws and moral laws. And we believe that when um, we, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we believe that when moral law aligns with the heart, and the will of our God is outlined in Scripture, that um, that will bring blessing to a people and righteousness, and it's for our good and for His glory. And so today, I think as followers of Christ, we rejoice, and yet our work is, is far from done, isn't it, as we extend compassionate care and seek to be a unifying presence and a peacemaking presence in a country that we feel the um, division. And so... If you would, would you join me in prayer? Father, we just want to pause here um, this morning and say thank you. We know that our hope is not in the laws of our, this land or any other country. Our hope is in you. And yet you did teach us to pray, would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And not so that we can establish a religious kingdom here we know that that is um, that will come when you come lord but we uh, we do so we pray this that you would be honored and glorified and that good would come to every person here that, that just true justice would be um, exercised for all those who have a voice and those who don't and so lord we thank you for overturning this ruling we thank you for the leaders who have played a part in this, who have faithfully served as your servants. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be your church and navigate these divisive days full of grace, full of truth. Help us to respond to opposition with humility and with love, but with a, a courage that will not back down to what is right. Lord, we pray that for those who are affected, and I know with the the mention of abortion, that many in this room have been affected. And, and we pray comfort, we pray healing, we pray your provision for each one. Lord, we thank you for your word that guides us. We thank you for uh, just the chance to be your church in this day and age. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, today we continue our message series, Houston we have a problem, and it's week four. It's our final week in this series. If you're just joining us, quick review. This is the, uh, we, we've been going through the book of Acts, watching the church get birthed, but we thought, let's take four weeks and look at some problems that the church is going through. It hit the first century church. These are problems that affect us as well and could disrupt our unity, which ultimately disrupts our mission and our, our ability to accomplish what God has called us to. The good news is, um, as we go through each, each week, we've been looking at one major problem. The good news is God, through his word, has given us the way through, the pathway through the problem. And so today, uh, and quick side note, I had a couple people ask me over the past few weeks, John, is everything okay in our church? Like, <laughs> we're going after these problems in Houston, we have a problem. Is there something going on that, we don't, that I don't know about? And the answer is, no, it, it's everything is good. This series was planned long ago. This is kind of like preventive maintenance, really, is how I'm looking at it. Now, obviously, there's probably some things that this is addressing each week, but there's not a major 
um, issue going on in our church family. One of the things a series like this does is it creates a Christ-centered culture that, that we really want to just hammer down and end out. Let it be our foundation so that the problems that these churches face don't become a problem that, that threaten our unity and our ability to accomplish what God's called us to. So, quick context. Remember, our theme for the year is, is uh, reset, and we're resetting around just praying, Lord, give us a renewed passion to be your church. Let's be his church. And we've been looking at who are we as his church, um, our identity, and remembering we're the body of Christ. Each one of us is a member of it. And then our calling as his church, as we've been seeing in Acts, is to be a witness for him. And so um, as we hopefully this year, and we're coming up to the, the finish line in August, but hopefully as we gain a just crystal clear vision of who we are, our identity, and our calling, that it stokes in us a passion to be his church. And so the, the rally cry has been, um, let's be his church, let's be his church as we go out and, and do life. But the way we, we, we are his church is together. Unity is essential. And so today we hit the big one. We're going to uh, tackle debatable issues. The, uh, what do we do with the debatable issues that arise? How do we maintain our sweet unity when a, one, somebody in our church family has a different opinion than you do about a debatable issue and your, it's not just an opinion, it is a firm conviction and your convictions collide. Now what? <laughs> what do we do in these moments? And the good news is this was happening to the church in Rome. Rome, I'll be in Romans chapter 14 this morning. Rome was a, a city which, like all the other cities, there were, there were many different cultures that were coming together. And so um, what was interesting about what's going on in Romans 14, there was some, a couple religious practices that for some, it was okay to do this. For others, it was taboo. Like, you just don't, how could you do this and call yourself a, a Jesus follower? And it was creating some conflict but the question I'd ask you today is, what are the debatable issues that threaten the unity within our church this morning? It's interesting, debatable issues change from culture to culture, time to time, don't they? I was thinking even 40 years ago, the commentaries I was reading this week, the things that we were debating 40 years ago are different than the things that threaten our unity this morning. So what we're going to do is look at what we're going to read through the text, look at their debatable issues. We'll, I'll, I'll throw out a few scenarios of possible debatable issues for us, and then we'll look at the, the solution. And it's three guidelines that God gives us in Romans 14 to help us maintain unity when our convictions collide. So if you would join me in Romans chapter 14, we'll read verses 1 to 3. He outlines really what's going on here. And he says, accept one another whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So meat is not a, they're not eating meat. Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced 
in his own mind. So what are the debatable issues that are going on in this church? And you could sum it up with diet and days. Diet, what, what do we eat? And the issue with the diet or the food was meat that had been offered to idols. It also may have been meat that was, or eating meat or un, food that was considered unclean if you came from a Jewish background. And so for some who had a, may have come out of uh, idol worship, saved as a now a new believer, if, if meat that had been offered to idols was presented to them, their conscience was grieved. How could they eat something that had been offered to an idol? For, for others whose faith was allowing them to see all things were okay, and Paul will make this clear later on, food in and of itself, their food was all fine. It was fine for them to eat in this time. Um, there was nothing intrinsically wrong about that, but for some, they could not eat it. For others, it was fine, and they were disputing over this. The other issue was the observing of, of certain days or sacred days. And for the, probably it was Sabbath was one of the issues. If you came out of a Jewish culture, Sabbath was huge. Your whole week revolved around Sabbath. Sabbath was, is actually Saturday in our calendar. We know the early church worshiped on Sunday, Resurrection Day, and perhaps they're wrestling over that. But you can see how this would create some uh, disunity in that it affects your schedule, your weekly schedule. So when are we going to do small group? When are we going to get together for this or that event? And it affects your diet or what's on the table. And so you fix something for somebody and a group gets together, small group gets together, and all of a sudden somebody's spirit is being grieved by, you know, there's bacon or there's um, food that's been offered to idols and, and you have a mess. So the question is, or, or big picture, the overarching concern is that a debatable issue is threatening their unity. Defining debatable issue, this is important. This isn't a right or wrong issue as outlined in Scripture. This is a gray area where God has not been clear on um, right or wrong. In fact, this is an area where you can have convictions about either side of the issue and be okay. So the... uh, how do we do life together when we may hold a conviction that's very different from another person in our church? And the question, back to that question, what are the debatable issues of our day today? Well, what would you say as you think through debatable issues, um, things that this isn't a, a right or wrong, it's a, a gray area, it's a non-essential in terms of being a, a Christian, being part of his, the kingdom of God, knowing Christ, but what are some of our own debatable issues? I'll share a couple of scenarios, and then we'll, we'll uh, walk through the, the solution together. But one would be, one that came up just this week, super practical, not for all of us, but for our high school students going to the Dominican Republic for, uh, to, to serve. And we're going to be praying them out today. But they are going to be teaming with a church that is a little more conservative in their dress. And so the question would be, um, what to wear? And the, the leaders of the church sent it, let our leaders know, hey, when the students come, would you make sure they're not wearing certain things that would offend us in the realm of modesty or be interpreted as irreverent when we gather to worship? So the, the, uh, the issue, you know, the, what they're trying to, we're called to be modest in what we wear and we're called to be reverent. But how do we display that? That's debatable, right? Culture to culture, church to church. So if you're a student, this means you're going to have to maybe go out and buy another 
I think girls have to wear dresses to worship, so may have to wear a dress. You're going to have to change your normal wardrobe um, when you're out and about in the community. I think you're the shorts have to be a, like basketball shorts versus anything shorter than that. So that's going to be different for, you're going to have to change what you wear. How, how, what do you do with that? If you're a member of this church and one of the students comes in, I think one of the things is you're, you, when you come to worship, your toes have to be covered. What if somebody has sandals? And now they are being irreverent in your service according to your culture, what do you do with that? If you're one of the church members and this group of Americans has come, what's going on in your heart? What to wear? Um, Take another scenario, what to drink? Friday night, you're hanging out with friends and you uh, met someone new at church and guest and you're like, man, I'm going to go out and invite them into our, hang out with our friend group and you love, I mean, it's a love big moment. you risk a relationship, and you go, hey, come, well, they come join you on a Friday night, you're having a good time, you're enjoying some alcoholic beverages, which are a good thing created by God, given to us to enjoy in moderation, and uh, have a, the evening seems to go well, but on the way out, your new friends, the guests that you invited, pull you aside and say, hey, we just wanted you to know we don't drink alcohol, and uh, we just wanted you to know that, and as you reflect on that conversation, you you sensed an air of condescension and superiority and we're a bit better than you and and what do you do with that do you invite them back <laughs> do you welcome them I, what do you do with that another scenario we'll uh we'll call this travel sports to play on sunday or not to play on sunday with many of our families wrestle with. Youth sports, I think, is one of the great gifts God has given our kids and our families to enjoy life together, brings the families together, and community. I think it's one of, arguably, one of the great ministry opportunities we have in our, in our community, anyway, to, to get to know people and to uh, build bridges of, of friendship and relationship to love them and be Christ to them, and uh, it's just love it. But here comes the uh, your kid does a good job, and somebody says, hey, would you come play on a travel team? Or they try out for a travel team, and they make it. Yes, exciting moment. Until you get the schedule, <laughs> and you realize, oh, baby, this is going to take us out of worship for a number of weekends, and worship, obviously, is a huge priority in our family, and yet we've committed to this team, and uh, what do we do? And so you think about it, you pray about it, you talk together as a family, you seek wise counsel about it, and for your family, you decide at this age and at this season, we're going to opt out. We're not going to do travel sports. We're going to continue to prioritize, let Sunday worship be priority. But you have a friend who's equally all in for Christ. They pray just as much, talked to their friend, friend's wise counsel just as much, thought about it, and they have opted in. And, and from their vantage point, this is a great ministry opportunity. It's a way that, hey, it's for a season, and we will figure out a way as a family to prioritize worship, even as we may have to miss a Sunday or two. But you're thinking to yourself, uh, I, long term, they may be doing something to their kid that is actually 
damaging that kid's value system in the realm of what really matters in life. And so now you're sitting around a pool and the conversation comes up. And what do you say? What do you do? We'll go out into the work, work world and uh, talk pronouns. Um, which ones should I use? And I think there's no debate within the church in terms of sexuality and gender and all those things. God is clear what is right, what is wrong. We, we don't debate that. But what we do debate is how do we respond and relate in a way that would be Christ to a community that's adrift in the realm of gender and sexuality. So take pronouns. Uh, you have a friend or a family member or a coworker who is in the process of transitioning from one gender to the other, and they have asked you to call them by, their, their, uh, by a certain pronoun, which is not their birth pronoun. What do you do? Well, some would say, absolutely not. If I call them by that pronoun, then I am affirming um, and really validating an errant position. I'm conforming to culture, and I am validating a lie that they're believing, and I'm doing damage to that person by not holding up clear truth. Another person equally convicted says, absolutely, yes. It's not about defending um, you know, God's going to take care of the truth. We're going after this person's soul, and we want to build a relational bridge to that person. So do the loving thing and just call them whatever they want to be called to get them to Jesus, and then he'll take care of bringing them around to the truth. But keep the bridge open. Don't blow up a bridge by being needlessly confrontational. Two positions, I, I, we, we, we can debatable issue. What what do you do? How do we maintain unity when our convictions around debatable issues collide? Not a right or wrong spelled out in Scripture. And God has given us a clear pathway. Three guidelines in this text to follow that are so helpful. The first one is this. Verse 1, he says, accept one another whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Or I'll give you the guideline, then we'll walk through the different verses. But the first is, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Here we see the word accept is the, um, it's that idea of welcome. Do not withhold affection or relationship, but open arms, welcome them. Verse 3, he says it again. The one who eats everything must not eat, uh, treat with contempt the one who does not. The one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. He'll point to this throughout the text, that God has accepted this person, and then he, he bookends this entire discussion in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. I wish we had time to just uh, marinate in this text, but I'm going to read this verse. This is really a summary of it all, but look at verse 7. It's so good. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Remember, um, what's the goal of, of a, really the goal of this, working through our stuff, maintaining unity, and it is worship. It's that we would bring praise to God. So when our convictions collide around a debatable issue, what do we do? Here's the default mode that, that God wants us to have. Accept one another. Debatable issues, we're going to have our opinions, our convictions, but accept one another as Christ has, has accepted you. Now think about this. When Christ accepted you into his family to be 
to be his. With the love that's amazing. When he accepted you, how many things, how many sins did he also have to tolerate? How many errant opinions or debatable issues would he tweak about you? <laughs> Even as you look back over the past 30 years of your life, how many things have you like, I was wrong here. Okay, today, how many things do you suppose you are off on? You're firmly convict, convinced, but 10 years you realize I was off on that. How many of those things does, <laughs> when the Lord accepts us and he's like, hey guys, I accepted you with all your stuff. This is how I want you to live together. Open arms, welcome each other. It's a picture of grace in motion, isn't it? It's the picture here we have is one of a welcoming presence. This means keeping the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ is our Lord, and it's our love for him, our devotion to him that unites us as a family, as a brotherhood, sisterhood, that uh, the debatable issues cannot divide and must not divide. And so it's my joy to welcome you, to accept you with open arms. Say, but I, got, I think this differently than you. I don't care. <laughs> br- br- hey, love you, accept you, but, but we disagree on this or that. This stuff is all so te- minor and even the um, main thing is him. We, one of our mottos as a church family is in essentials, unity. Those are our core doctrines. In non-essentials, liberty. There's freedom to have different convictions, and then in all things, charity. And so, how do we maintain unity when our convictions collide? First, accept one another as Christ has accepted us. And then, the second guideline is, and it's interesting, he goes after, addresses both groups with with each of these, um, goes into the the negative here, but he says, it's this, refuse to be condescending and judgmental. So, we see this in verse 3 and 10. Romans 14, I, I don't know, those of you who have studied this, often it just has my head going all different places. It's so, it can be complex. He runs on a lot of different thoughts, but verses 3 and 10 really form the primary calling to the two groups that he, who are at odds. And so we'll read this again. He says, verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. So there's the meat eaters group. He says, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Verse 10, he sums it up again. You then, why do you judge your brother and sister to the vegetarians and then to the meat eaters, or why do you treat them with contempt? So the picture that I have is today we're excited to launch our uh, 2022 softball season. We appreciate Brad and Michelle Legan overseeing that down at Ellis Park. And imagine, I'm picturing Brad as an umpire talking that there's a dispute, which never happens in our league, by the way. This is purely hypothetical, except during tournament time, which is not going to happen this year. (laughs) But uh, imagine there's a dispute about some rule, and Brad is talking to to each coach. He's talking to this guy, then he's talking to this guy. But, 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 but. No, here's boom, boom. And that's the picture of Paul. Okay, you get the meat eaters. It's fine to eat everything. Paul's like, guys, Do not treat with contempt or be condescending those who are weaker in their faith, whose consciences are grieved when they eat this meat. So those of us who are free to do whatever, free to enjoy our liberty in Christ, what 
we'll, we'll take, um, we can wear whatever we want to wear as long as it's somewhat modest to worship, right? So as a student going down to the Dominican Republic, we could roll our eyes like, oh, mm, when are these people going to come up to the 21st century, right? It's like, come on, catch up, condescending. But you know, it, it gets hard when that group, we'll say the vegetarians in this case, looks at us and judges those who are free and looks at us like we're wrong. Then it's like, yeah, I will be condescending. To the group over here, he's like, then Paul turns and says, okay, you vegetarians who are, you know, you have your, you're following a strict law, don't judge the meat eaters. The tendency is to, why don't, if they really loved God and were committed to God as committed as I am, they would actually not eat meat. They wouldn't even get close to this stuff. If there's a question, they wouldn't do it. So therefore, and now they're judging these guys. And so he, it's like he pulls them both apart and says, okay, meat eaters, don't be um, don't condescending and vegetarians, don't judge. To which we say, okay, but how? How do, how do we live this out? And that's, he gives us one primary truth here in verses four and following. He says this, who are you to judge someone else's servants? This is the big idea. He just reminds us, guys, um, Basically, stay in your lane. The Lord is the judge. We're not to be judging each other. And he fleshes this idea out as he says, to their own master, servants will stand and fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully con- convinced in their own minds. This is a principle. It's important that we are um, firm in our convictions. It's not wrong to have conviction and to hold that conviction firmly, but uh, verse 6, he goes on, whoever regards one day as special, does so, that, does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat, does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains, does so to the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. And so this idea of remember who's Lord. <laughs> As we live, we're, we're, we're all servants living for the Lord, so we're not to be judging one another. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue can, will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? And so here God is calling us to let him be the judge. A verse that, that is, it's one of those that, and I'm going to have to just quote it. Um, don't have time to go through the context, so I encourage you to read this in context. But it is one that just like, oh man, I, I it's hard to get my head around this, but it's helpful too. As Jesus came living his life, the perfect human, the Son of God to die for us. But listen to what he says in John 12, 47. This is Jesus just before uh, nearing the cross. And he says this, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge 
that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. (laughs) Now, next verse it says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. So it's not like he's saying there, there will be no judge. There will be, but Jesus, when he was here, was not here to judge. He was here to save. We are not here to judge. We are here to save. Now, there's another in Corinthians he'll discuss. We, we do obviously judge sin in our lives, and we help each other judge sin in each other's lives. It's another message, but the heart, the attitude that we have as we do life together is not one of judges. The, uh, and so, guideline to refuse to be condescending, judgmental, How do we maintain unity when our convictions collide? So accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Refuse to be judgmental, condescending. Third guideline is do what brings us together, peace, and builds us up. Verse uh, Chapter 14, verse 19 is a summary of uh, what Paul will, will develop here. And he says this, let us therefore make every effort. So this is the action part. This is where we move into, okay, let's get busy doing this. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Peace is bringing two people together, reconciling, and it's that picture of shalom. Mutual edification is that idea of what's going to build this person up, what's going to help them become more like Christ, help them love God more, and live out the the love of Christ to those around us. So he said, okay, what... How do we do that? And what's this look like? And, and quickly, we'll read through verses uh, 13 to 18, flesh this out. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So as we have different convictions, if my conviction causes somebody to stumble in their walk with Christ, I should be willing to, to not do whatever that is. My concern, really the underlying theme here is having a a loving concern for those around me. He goes on, he says, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. So pick your thing. For here it was eating meat. Here's a random one, um, drinking orange juice, we'll say. So if for a person, for whatever reason, they feel like drinking orange juice is offensive to God, and they hold that conviction, and when they drink orange juice, they feel like they're sinning against God. For them, it is sin. So therefore, I should not, you know, be wanting to um, do anything that would cause them to to sin, and my concern should be for them. He says, if you're, verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. So this is that idea, the word distress there is, in the English, not quite as vivid. It's it's the idea of grieving, being in pain, being injured. Um, If what we do causes somebody else to be in pain in terms of grieving their conscience and hurting them in their walk with Christ, here he says, um, why would you, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died? Meaning, if Jesus died for this person, Shouldn't I be willing to give up some of my freedom for them? <laughs> like, okay, let's have veggies instead of meat for the meal or um, whatever the issue may be. But 
do we just let a person who is weak in their faith and a legalist then control our community? Like, all right, you guys can't do anything because it offends me. And here Paul responds to that in verse 16. He says, therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. The goal is not that someone would stay in their, um, for, for the person who is weaker in their faith, that they would stay there, but eventually they would move towards a more mature view of, of things. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So God's kingdom is not a matter of externals, but of the internals that he lists here, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. And so this third guideline, do what brings to peace, do what brings us together and builds us up, is a call to action. So how do we navigate these issues? Question is, we do that heart check, am I being condescending or judgmental? But then we say, okay, now what would bring us together, unite us, and what would build us up? What would build this other person up in their faith? So bringing it all together, what do we do when a debatable issue threatens to divide a a relationship? within our church family, and you, you and this other person are good friends, but uh-oh, you have this conviction around this issue, and pick your issue, there's so many, and we've just been through three years of, of uh, you've got the political issues, maybe a moral issue, lifestyle issue, maybe a parenting issue, um, a church tradition issue, whatever it is, it, but your debatable issue, convictions are colliding, what do you do, and what a gift God has given us here. Three guidelines to follow. First, our default, accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Determine not to let the debatable issue divide us. Second, don't be judgmental or condescending. And then third, do what leads to peace or brings us together and what builds us up are the three guidelines. So uh, Sabbath day, my Sabbath is Monday. And one of my routines, um, structured, probably way too structured, Damn, um, can, can I, but, I, but I love the rhythm of, and normally on a Monday, I've got, the, the day will, will flow, and 4.30 though is usually when the trigger goes off, it's time to grill the chicken, I love, I grill out chicken, um, honey bourbon chicken, and we'll cut it up for the week, and food prep it, and I grill that from 4.30 to 5.30, and then right around 5.30, I turn on ESPN, and my favorite show of the week is PTI, pardon the interruption. And I was shocked to find some people have not watched this show. But uh, <laughs> we all live in our own little subcultures. And this is my, these guys, um, and thanks to Tam for letting me do this, but they basically, it's a sports show where they will take the, the big events from sports week, events from the weekend, break them down into like two-minute sections and talk through them, but de- they end up debating each other. Mike Wilborn is on the right here, Tony, and uh, Kornheiser on the left, and crazy deal um these guys have been doing this for 20 years in 2021 um a show came out that was celebrating 20 years of doing this and this show which when it started they thought this might go for a week or two has become the gold standard in in uh, for espn and sports uh broadcasting and so i was curious i watched this special show and i'm like what makes these guys good and I'm watching it, and it was really fascinating to hear the behind-the-scenes dialogue and, and the, the team, it takes a whole team to put it together. One is competency. They're really good at what they do. They know their subject, and they pick good subjects to go through. But, but the, the secret began, began to be clear. 
And what was neat was hearing the behind-the-scenes people, the producers and the, the guys behind the cameras and stuff, verbalize this. And do you know what it is? These two guys who debate daily love each other. <laughs> you can see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their tone. And, and then finally, they said it. I just love this guy. I just love this guy. Brotherly love. 20 years of arguing over debatable issues turns into a money-making machine and one of the best shows on sports. And I'm like, thinking about church. These guys, don't, these guys may know Christ, I don't know, but what they're operating on is philos love, brotherly love. The love that we're operating on is agape love. A love that's far greater than, than philos or brotherly love. And I just love the picture. Guys, we have a mission that's way bigger than entertaining sports fans 5.30 in, in the evening. We have a mission that our Lord has given us, which is to take the gospel, the message of hope that every soul needs and our world needs now more than ever, and to deliver it, to be a witness. But Jesus said... This is the key to getting it done. Unity, unity, unity. Paul, the, the context behind the, the Rome, this letter to Rome was he shared the gospel. And then he's like, in this chapter, 14 and 15, he's like, guys, don't let a debatable issue cause you to veer off mission and divide the body of Christ. We've got to stay unified. It's core to the mission. So how do we stay unified it's the love of Christ, isn't it? And I love it how it just keeps coming back to our Lord, our Lord, our Lord, fixing our eyes on Him. We accept one another with, as He has accepted us. Refuse to be condescending or judgmental. And then we do what we need to do to bring peace and to, to build one, one another up, offer His glory. Do you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You for Your Word to us today. And we know it's easy to... Easy to say, but, but out in our everyday life, this is tough to live out. And so we pray for your grace to do this. Lord, we pray that a watching world would see um, your love in action, your grace in action as we interact with each other. And Lord, I thank you for our church family and just the chance to, to be a part of the mission that, that you are, um, you've called us to and that is playing out in real time in our midst. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.